This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Gonzalo Vasquez Prokopek, an Associate Professor of Environmental Sciences at Emory University in Atlanta. We'll be discussing the presence of Heartland virus in Lone Star Ticks in Georgia. Welcome, Dr. Vasquez Prokopek. Thank you, Sarah. Heartland virus and your April EID article have been in the news a lot in the last few weeks. Give us a brief history of the virus. Yes. So Heartland, it's a, it's a recently discovered virus from the U.S., actually. So it was discovered in, in the year 2009. And what makes this virus particular is that it's not transmitted by mosquitoes or from person to person, but by the bite of ticks. Um, particularly a species of ticks called Amblyoma americanum or the lone star tick. And our study presents the findings of the discovery of this virus being transmitted in the state of Georgia. And besides Georgia, what other states is it found in now? Yeah, it's really the finding of this virus has occurred in association with the detection of other human cases, many of them fatalities. And we can map the virus for southern USA you know, from Missouri all the way to Georgia, and from Georgia all the way to Pennsylvania. And, and really, we do not know the whole range of the virus because there's no testing specifically done for uh, ticks in all the states where the Amblyoma americanum, the lone star tick, is found. But we predict that the virus is more widespread than we know, and we have the evidence now. And, and of course, the evidence of infection might be uh, larger. So this um, virus, and that's why it's called Heartland, started in the Midwest. How did it spread from there to these southern states and Pennsylvania and the others you mentioned? Very good question. We hypothesize that it hasn't spread per se. The virus has been circulating, and it's very likely circulating throughout the region, uh, Midwest and the south and southeast. What happens is that we just detected when somebody uh, gets sick, a human individual gets sick, and at the same time gets tested for it. The alternative is that what we can do is go to the field, capture ticks, and test those ticks for infection. And that's how we found it in Georgia and many other colleagues found it in different states. So you went out specifically looking for these ticks? Exactly. And if you look for it, very likely you're going to find it as long as you have enough ticks of the Amblyoma americanum species. So there seem to be a lot of emerging tick-borne and mosquito-borne diseases. Are there environmental factors playing into this rise? Yeah, indeed. So, so multiple factors. We cannot point to one specific. Uh, climate change is affecting the seasonality of ticks and how far north or south, and especially north, they can go. And that's how many have expanded uh, to northern latitudes. But also land use change. You know, what happens is as, as forests get, uh, fragments get smaller, animals bump with each other more, ticks jump from deer to small rodents and from other hosts. And those are small patches of forest, maybe the places where people go hunting, you know, go recreational hiking. And that's where, you know, the perfect combination of factors occurs where, you know, these tick-borne viruses, uh, you know, or other pathogens are being transmitted. So you mentioned animals. So these viruses, they start in um, animals and then the infection, they spill over to people? Yes, that's what we call a zoonosis, where we have a pathogen circulating in a reservoir animal. 
And then, you know, there's a spillover event into a human disease in many instances that lead to the detection of the virus from the spillover. And particularly for heartland, we don't have uh, strong knowledge of what are the reservoirs. So what are the animals that are maintaining this virus in nature? It could be rodents, you know, it could be opossums, birds. So, so the, the Amblyoma americanum tick, which is, you know, the, the primary vector that we hypothesize, bites a wide range of, of animals. So part of our future research is to really nail down which specific animal species is the one maintaining the virus in nature. And how prevalent is this virus so far that you know of? Well, we just know, based on evidence, that there are a few human cases that have been reported to the CDC, about over 50 since 2009. There's a study in Missouri that did a a screening of a blood bank and found less than 1% people with antibodies. But really, the true burden is unknown because there's no testing done uh, not only on people with symptoms, but also in the general population. And also there's no screening of ticks done routinely. So, so what we do know is that those 50 cases are very likely an underestimation of the true burden of, of disease. How dangerous is heartland virus compared to the many other tick-borne diseases? You mentioned fatality, I think. Yeah, so, so again, we know from, from the few cases that were detected that were either severely ill or hospitalized, But again, those are small fractions. So we do not know. What we know is that many people report having uh, fever, tiredness, or some other symptoms about two weeks after the detection of a tick bite or a tick attached to them. Um, But really, the wide range of symptomology is is unknown. Okay, so why did you do this study? What inspired it? Part of it was the detection of or the finding of a human case, the first human case in Georgia, in southern Georgia. The other part is a, a postdoc in, in my laboratory who had experience working with other ticks and tick-borne diseases who expressed, you know, really her leadership and interest in detecting, you know, whether this virus was circulating in Georgia. And, and those two combined led us to hypothesize that, yes, indeed, if we have ticks, we might have the virus, and then because of that, we, we initiated the study. So what were you looking for in particular when you started this study? So we were looking for evidence of not only the ticks found in Georgia, you know, keep in mind that Amblyoma americanum, the lone star tick, is the most common tick that bites people in Georgia and many of the southern states. So we were interested in just confirming the presence of the virus. So with that confirmation, we can really open up uh, a whole new set of studies to try trying to understand, that's our ultimate goal, the transmission ecology of heartland. What are the reservoirs? If we know the reservoirs, we might know which animal models could be used to understand immunological uh, components of the virus and potentially even the research of vaccine if it, it might be needed in the future. So all of that started with this confirmation detection in an area that we know uh, where we hypothesize had high potential and now from then, you know, expanding and trying to go to new areas. And why did you choose Georgia to do your investigation? And was there a particular part of the state you collected ticks from? Yeah, so Georgia, a previous study done in white-tailed deer, you know, they found evidence of antibodies against this virus and from all the southern U.S. states. But from Georgia, there were the most locations where deer collected had evidence of antibody presence. So that's one of the pieces of evidence. The other one was the detection of the single human case in Georgia. And those two combined led us to a, a specific county, group of counties, uh, south of Georgia, uh, east of Macon, uh, where we had not 
only the county where the human case was reported, but also where we had evidence of infected deer. So that's where we nailed that location for our initial study. And how did you structure this study? So we first had to find habitats that were suitable for the ticks. Um, and for that, we did a first year where we sampled many locations, particularly in state parks and places that people visit because we wanted to go to locations that human exposure may happen readily. So in the first year, we sampled over 20 locations, and then on a second year, we visited the locations with the most ticks collected on the first year, and those locations were the ones that yielded two of them, two of the three locations yielded uh, the positive ticks that we report and we genotyped. And how did you go about collecting these ticks? Well, it's a tedious process that is trying to mimic a natural process, so we do something called flagging, which basically means having a flag of a cloth felt that is color white, and basically walk through the, the woods and the lower vegetation, putting this piece of cloth on the vegetation because ticks that are going to be ready to pierce on a host are going to be waiting for that host on the tips of that vegetation. So what the cloth is doing is mimicking what the ticks would find when deer or other animals are going through the vegetation. It's just that we try to capture them on that piece of cloth and then with tweezers and, and patients, get them into vials for future testing. So it's just cloth. It's not like scented with deer or anything, human. It's just cloth. Just plain cloth, like the same as your pants when you walk. Yeah, they might jump on you and, and pierce on your on your skin after. I see. Okay. So once you have all these ticks, how do you process them? So we take them to the lab and we have to grind them really carefully because they're really hard. And, and the virus is inside their body, their cells. So we have to grind them uh, very carefully, mix them with reagents that not only preserve the RNA and genomic material, but also prevent fungal infections and other growth of bacteria. And then that is the initial processing that then leads to PCR, virus isolation in specific cells that would grow this virus. And those were the main diagnostic tools that we used to detect infection. How exactly did you differentiate Heartland from other possible pathogens? Yes, so, so we do molecular tests, particularly in our RT-PCR, which is a, a very sensitive method because we have specific primers, specific parts of the sequence of the genome of the virus that would only bind to that virus. And with that method, we were able to unequivocally detect you know, that we had the virus, but at the same time, because it's really hard to find it, we also took those, uh, you know, the mixture of the tick tissue and plated it in, in, in cells, monkey cells, that allowed that the virus could grow into them and then extract the virus from there and then do also PCR. Um, so molecular testing was done. And then what further confirmed the virus was when we took those viruses and did what we call whole genome sequencing, which is try to get as complete as possible sequence of the whole virus. And that matched perfectly with Heartland, which is already found in, in, in repositories, in banks of genome sequences. So the matching was done through these two processes. I see. So your study also mentions bourbon virus from the Midwest. Uh, how is that related to Heartland virus? Yeah, so what we know bourbon is even least known. It's one of the least known viruses here that we know infected a few individuals. But what we do know is that when the virus was found, was also found in areas where Heartland was detected. So what we try to do is try to detect whether both viruses were in the same ticks in, in Georgia. And we didn't detect bourbon, although we did the same method for Heartland. 
So we hypothesize that either it's not here or the frequency of transmission is really low or the location where it's found is not where we went. So there are multiple explanations for that. Why is it important to know that Heartland virus is a danger in Georgia now or anywhere? Yes. So the threat of emerging infectious diseases is apparent. We know it and we are experiencing it. For us as scientists, what we're trying to do is gain evidence of these rare pathogens that could have implications for human health, particularly in springtime when people go out hiking or hunting or, or you know, exposing themselves in the forest. So we want to know what type of viruses could be out there transmitted by ticks, not to cause panic or alarm. This is not a virus that is going to spread uh, like many others, but just to bring awareness that when we go outside, there is potential for exposure and that we have to exercise our personal protection against tick bites. Uh, so we minimize any potential risk. Is there a test for it in people? Like, could I go into my doctor and say, I think I have Heartland virus, look for it? Unfortunately, that's really hard because it's not a notifiable disease, so there's not a formal routine diagnostic. But what we do know is that if you have symptoms and you're at the right time, you could be detected as infected by uh, this molecular method, PCR. There's also post-infection, you could do some uh, antibody detection. But again, it's not something done routinely, and, and it would be really hard for physicians just based on the general symptoms to you know, prescribe that diagnostic. So to me, it's really asking big questions about, you know, are you going outside? Where do you have a tick, you know, about two weeks ago on your body? Those might be signals that could let physicians to, you know, prompt um, some further testing if, you know, the symptoms do not match any other symptomology of, of a disease, right? And what would those symptoms be? Well, again, very generic symptoms at the beginning. You know, you might have a mark, you know, where the tick might happen, but fever, tiredness, uh, nausea. So, so they're very generic. So at the beginning, there's nothing that would prompt you from, you know, saying, oh, I have Harland, because most of the hospitalizations and fatalities occurred in people who had other conditions, particularly they were elderly and had, um, you know, other pre-existing conditions that basically exacerbated with the infection on Harland. So assuming somebody might actually get it diagnosed, is there a treatment if it's caught soon enough? Unfortunately not. There's no treatment for, for Harland. Well, that's bad news. <laughs> what are the particular ways that this is important to public health? Well, again, emerging infections are really important because, you know, they could change as the ecology of a system changes. And right now, you know, what we've seen with Lyme disease and other tick-borne diseases in the U.S. is that they are expanding and becoming a bigger problem in areas that 10, 20 years ago they were not. So studies like ours are bringing light to some of those pathogens that hopefully would never become problematic, but if we have knowledge and evidence before they become problematic, then we have better tools for action. And just on a very practical level here, what do you think are the best ways for people to protect themselves from tick bites? Yes. So first of all, you know, they should follow the CDC recommendations. There's plenty of information on the CDC website. And, and the main recommendation is that, you know, ideally for those who are occupationally spending time, a lot of time in the forest, you know, wearing long pants, protecting in themselves with boots, and also in, in those conditions or areas where they know there's a lot of ticks, they could use insecticide-treated clothing. You know, there's an insecticide called permethrin that either, you know, you can buy clothing that comes with it or you can buy the product and, uh, you know, impregnate it yourself. 
And what that insecticide would do is just any tick, uh, you know, jumping on, on their legs or, or their arms would just basically feel the insecticide and, and, and come off or die. If you cannot wear those, you know, especially long pants, uh, the minimum would be wearing repellent, you know, DEET. It's one of the active ingredients that has high efficacy, particularly the higher concentrations, like 30%. Um, putting repellent often, it's another one that, you know, would work. And in the case or the event of seeing or detecting a tick, immediately taking it off your body, not waiting. Because what we know with viruses, other viruses, is that it takes about 20 minutes of the tick being pierced to inject or transmit the virus. So the earlier you can take it off, the, the better. And those measures should be enough for preventing um, or minimizing the exposure of ticks and tick bites. Okay, so you mentioned um, forests and woods and hiking and that kind of thing um, several times now. Uh, are they the areas that are most infected with ticks, say, as opposed to my backyard? Yes. So this tick depends on basically having enough wooded areas. So it's not going to be found in a swamp. It's not going to be found in a, in a plain field or a grassland. They're really in wooded areas where we have understory vegetation, like, you know, bushes and grasses and, and other vegetation under trees. Those are the same areas where people go, you know, around the city. It's not necessarily on the city per se. It's going to be in locations that are forested far away because the tick and the virus require a wide array of mammals, deer and others, and, and those are not very likely to be found in your backyard or in the middle of the city. But yes, as we go into different locations, we will find those. I see. So is there something environmentally that can or should be done by counties or the state to protect people? Environmentally, you know, it's really difficult because it's leading to this increase in tick-borne diseases. It's a combination of, you know, forests, uh, high abundance of deer, which actually are key for ticks, and also people going into this area. So it's not something that I can recommend and say we should environmentally change the whole ecology. What we know is that areas with high biodiversity and, you know, abundance of predators and, and, you know, a healthy community should not have ticks and heartland or any other tick-borne diseases in the abundance that we see now in that forest patches are smaller and then the whole ecology is constrained in a small space. So the main recommendation at this point is really to bring awareness to people about the challenges and also the potential impacts of getting into those areas and getting exposed to ticks. And it's not saying no, don't go there. It's just saying, you know, exercise your caution and, and your personal protection. So tell us about your job at Emory University and how you're involved in this study. Yeah, so I'm a professor in the Department of Environmental Sciences by training and I'm ecologist, particularly disease ecologist. So I, I primarily look at diseases, but not from the perspective of uh, medicine or the medical field, but from the perspective of what factors in the interaction between vectors, which is what I study, vector-borne diseases, the environment and humans, what are those interactions that lead to spread, spillover, or transmission? And, and I do that through fieldwork studies as well as quantitative methods, statistics, mathematical modeling. And what we try to do is piece the pieces of the puzzle together to understand 
the transmission ecology of these emerging infectious diseases. So Emory University is in Atlanta, which is a very large city with a lot of urban sprawl. But despite that, there is nature everywhere with plenty of access to hiking and outdoor recreation. Do you take advantage of these? What do you do for relaxation? Absolutely. You know, for us, we can actually do this kind of research in our backyard. And Atlanta is a very important location in the southeast. You know, we have an extended warm period. There's mosquitoes, you know, plenty of them. Some of them could potentially be vectors of viruses. We have ticks. So in my work, and particularly my students, really, we are a large operation of undergraduate, master's, PhD, and postdoc students, all of them learning by doing. Uh, and what we can do is just work on Emory campus all the way to northern or southern Georgia. And, and I think it provides this unique opportunity not only to make predictions about risk, but also link them, particularly in Atlanta, to specific locations where that risk might lead to uh, an increased transmission of viruses. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Vasquez Berkopek. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the April 2022 article, Isolation of Heartland Virus from Lone Star Ticks, Georgia, USA, 2019, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.